All right, starting in Acts 4, we'll be reading 1 to 12, then jumping down to 31 to 37. And as we read, just take notice of the church and how they were filled with the Holy Spirit and how they grew and how they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold unto the next day, for it was now even tide. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men were about, was about 5,000. And it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes, and Ananias the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and as many as were the kindred of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when, and when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have ye done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the temple and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him does this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Jumping down to verse 31 and reading to the end. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul, neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own. But they had all things common, <clears throat> and, with one, and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them, and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and, distrib and distribution was made unto every man according as he, as he had need. And Joses, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. You may be seated. Well, I'd like, to, <clears throat> I'd like to bring you greetings in Jesus' name. It's, I consider it a blessing this morning to be able to worship and fellowship with you here at Weavertown. Now, I want to thank Joseph for the, uh, the way he read this scripture very clearly and also for the introduction. But I was encouraged to maybe add a little bit to that introduction, and I think I'll do it this way. Uh, back in the 1970s, I was in the Weavertown Youth Group, and Sam Kaufman was the leader, the, 
the song or the chorus director. And it was in those years that I became acquainted with my wife, who's not living anymore. She passed five years ago. And she was Lily Chupp. So that makes me a brother-in-law to Wanda and to Bill. So I was encouraged just to make that um, introduction for those of you who might not date back that far. And then it was mentioned that I'm also a brother to uh, Mel, who's a member here, Anna's husband. So this scripture, I thought, would serve us well, or serve as a challenge and an inspiring platform for this message that's assigned to me, or this topic that's assigned to me, relating to spiritual and physical needs in our community. And I was noticing, I actually started reading in the beginning of Acts and, and wasn't sure what scripture I could ask jo, Joseph to read, but I just pulled out some verses uh, or an account that brings out how the church was spirit-filled and united and in the first chapters, as it talks about the church in Acts, it, it uses expressions and words like one accord, one mind, and one soul. And verse 33, where Joseph read, And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. My, dis my words for the church in Acts would just could be just simply, they were vibrant, they were a life-changing church. They had new converts being added daily. It was a force to be reckoned with. Even the local authorities were alarmed. Now, Maybe, you, maybe you're saying, well, that was back in Bible times. That was long ago. But did anything like this happen ever since? And yes, I believe there were times since then where there was revival that uh, swept through maybe different parts of the world. And we know that in the 1500s, there was the Reformation period when many non-believers were joining the Anabaptist movement. And then there were the, the great revivals in America, uh, particularly in the late 1700s. But that's like 600 years ago. What about today? Has anything changed? Is there a lack of passion for the lost? 
Or are you thinking, well, my neighbors are simply distracted by sports and ease and electronic entertainment? In other words, and this is the question for us today, is it their problem or is it ours that there aren't more unbelieving neighbors joining our churches? Now, I don't know if, till we get finished, I will have the answer for you. But I find that uh, challenging to think about. Why isn't there more? Why aren't there more non-believers, unsaved people in our community coming to the church like they did in Acts and during the Reformation and during times of revival. So my assignment, and I'll repeat the title again, Relating to Spiritual and Physical Needs in Our Community. So I was particularly drawn to the first word, relating. And um, how do we relate? And what does relate mean? And I believe relating to refers to connecting with or identifying with and even feeling empathy with, understanding the community and particularly understanding those with spiritual needs along with physical needs. So I'll just give you a, a Maybe a quick outline of the message. First, we want to look at what the Bible says about the spiritual condition of the unsaved or the unregenerated heart. And then, what is our message? And a little about the messenger, which is us. And then, practical ways of relating. So my prayer has been that this message would develop in us a greater burden for the unsaved. I think it's terribly selfish for us to be enjoying salvation and peace with God and not being concerned about our unsaved neighbor. I think it's terribly selfish. And I think um, we all know, you would agree that today there's many people that think they don't need God. And maybe they just call on Him when they get into trouble. So there's many people today that don't need God, or they don't feel like they need God. But in spite of the rapid secularization that is happening in our country, you know that there are seekers, there are people that are wanting to know more about God. There are people that come to this community to see if they can learn something about 
religion. Then my mind was drawn to Matthew 7, 14, where Jesus tells us that relatively few people will be saved. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. So I was encouraged recently with this thought that this information that Jesus shared maybe wasn't to discourage us, but rather to motivate us. There are a few. There are a few people that are seeking. And not only will few be saved, but then he says that the laborers are few. The fields are white already to harvest. So I just view Matthew 7.14 as maybe a little bit of a motivation. There are a few people out there seeking. Are we finding them? Are we connecting? Are we relating to their spiritual need? And I've been encouraged when I consider some men who are engaged in the harvest of seeking souls that are seeking. I know a few men who have a passion for finding that seeking soul and want to minister to them. And I'm thinking there's men here at Weavertown that have that passion. Um, maybe through passing out Gideon Bibles. Um, I know that as soon as I mention a name or two, I'm going to miss some. But I, my mind went this morning to uh, the Shepherd's Cup in New York City and the work here in Lancaster that Chris Stolzhus is involved in. And there's more. I'm sure there is. But I've been encouraged in seeing men with a passion to reach out and find that seeking soul. And I think of uh, billboard evangelism, the callers, or the, the people that answer the calls, choice books. Uh, recently I visited with Simon Schrock in, in Virginia, and he's... His passion is just as alive as ever to reach people with the gospel. So now I, what I'd like to do is see if together we can understand better the spiritual need in our community. I believe that having a better understanding of the spiritual condition of the unregenerated heart or the human heart, I think that will help us um, minister to the spiritual needs in our community. So the Bible is very clear about the spiritual bondage of every heart. And maybe we can think back to before we were saved, the things that we dealt with, the 
the selfishness, the, the pride, the human, the fallen human nature that we were born with. So I'm going to be just pointing out a few scriptures. Um, yes, and, and I'll just say it this way before I start. The Bible is very clear about our spiritual bondage. The spiritual bondage of every human heart. And if it's not repented of, we'll experience the wrath of God. So the first one I'm thinking of is the bondage of guilt and condemnation. An unsaved person has to deal with that guilt in his, in his heart. Romans 3, 19 and 20, and I'm, I'm going to encourage you just to turn to some of these scriptures. Romans 3, 19 and 20. Read... Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So every mouth may be stopped. The whole world becomes guilty before God. Unless there's repentance, unless there's forgiveness, unless we open our hands to the grace of God. John 3.36, it talks about, um, and I'm going to turn there again. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Very clear. A person born into this world with guilt and, and sin as his human nature. Pride. All that needs to be needs to be confessed and recognized in what Christ did for us on the cross. So, it's the bondage of guilt and condemnation. There's another bondage that the human heart uh, reckons, has to reckon with, and turn with me to John 3.16. And yes, that's a very familiar scripture, but I want to read from 16 through 21. Here the point is that when we were born, our human heart loves darkness and hates light. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. 
And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. People love darkness. How can you love light if you're born with a heart that loves darkness? So this is a real bondage that people, unsaved people in our communities find themselves. They might be introduced to the light, but they don't love the light. The light is hated and darkness is loved. Another bondage of the human heart we find in Romans 8, and we're going to turn to that one, Romans 8, verses 6, 7, and 8. Here, the bondage is they are the human unregenerated heart hates the supremacy of God. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. So, the human heart is actually in bondage to hating God. It's, it's hostile to God. It's because our human nature is proud and doesn't want to get down and submit to God. It cannot. It hates to submit. That's the human nature. So, Verse 9, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And as I was going through this, it, it actually motivated within me to try and understand the unregenerated people in our community. They have heart issues. They, they don't love the light. They hate God. The human heart hates God. Loves darkness. So how do we approach or minister or meet the needs of the spiritual darkness And there's another one, and that's uh, spiritual deadness. And uh, I might just not refer to that necessarily right now, except for Ephesians 2, 1 to 3, where it says that 
we were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. We were once there too with our fleshly heart before we accepted Christ, before we received the grace that he offers us. We don't have to learn to sin. We sin by nature, and our old man by nature is dead to Christ. And maybe one more yet. The bondage of blindness to the glory of Christ. And for that, we'll look at 1 Corinthians 2.14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So with that, I was, I was praying that we would get a glimpse of the unregenerated human heart the people in our community that aren't saved and how how can we meet that need how can we um, yes minister to them how should we relate so now I'm going to uh, suggest that our message should be the message of the cross our culture has and is changing, but God's message has not changed. So in light of the sin nature of every soul that's born into this world, the truth about the cross and what Jesus offers, his, his grace needs to be shared. Acts 4.12 clearly says that neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So my thoughts are going to places like, you know, we can meet people's physical needs, and, um, and that's great. That's a good way to connect with the community as we connect as we're there for them in their physical needs. But let's keep front and center the message of the cross. And that's a challenge for me to um, yeah, bring, bring the grace of God, bring Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 into the picture as soon as, as, soon as we can. The glory of God's sovereign grace is the answer to all those bondages that people find themselves in. The bondage of guilt and the bondage of our wicked loves and our hatred to God's authority over us. And our deadness and our blindness to God. 
God's sovereign grace. And I want to refer to Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So grace, can we bring grace to meet the spiritual needs in our community? But make sure that we don't just bring grace without faith. It's by grace through faith in the finished work of Christ. And it's through Jesus' life and death and resurrection and ascension and his interceding for us uh, today that we can live victoriously over the bondage that we were born with or in. Romans 10.9 tells us that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And by faith, we surrender our life to, to God. And that's the message of the cross. And that's the message I believe we need to be encouraged to share with those that have spiritual needs in our community. Now I'd like to talk just a bit about the, uh, the messenger of the gospel. Maybe I could start with a question. Do you really care that people are dying around you without the Spirit of Christ in their life? Do you really care? And I'll say it again, it seems terribly selfish for us who have experienced salvation and peace with God and the joy that we have and not care about the unsaved that are losing their way or even people that are just losing their way. At Mine Road recently we... uh, heard a message on what the Bible has to say about hell, the domain of the lost. Many are following a path that's leading to everlasting destruction. Are we aware of that? Do we care? It was clearly brought out in that message that everyone will go to one of two places either heaven or hell, for all eternity. Second Peter 3.9 The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So the message for those in our community that have a spiritual need, I think is keep front and center the cross of Christ and that his grace is received 
through repentance and through faith. Now we're talking about the messenger. I think prayer is the preparation. And I'd like to encourage us to pray that God would make you aware of the needs in your community. Could we do that? Just pray that God would make us aware of the needs in the community. And I like this thought that I see, I think I, I can picture God working with every person. His spirit is there, maybe convicting, nudging, leading. And I believe that the spirit of God is preparing souls out there for a contact with one of his one of his one of us i believe god is preparing souls to hear a word from us and that challenges me to be available just in the event that that the holy spirit was leading someone to a certain thought and then our paths crossed and did I step up to the, the challenge or the opportunity? I believe our prayers are incomplete until we give ourselves wholly and freely to God, saying, what do you want me to do today? Who do you want me to speak to today? And I like this thought, that wherever the Word of God goes, that's where the Spirit of God will follow. So when you say a word for, for God, for Jesus, I believe the Holy Spirit follows that word into that person's heart. Wherever the Word of God goes, the Spirit of God follows So I'd like to uh, maybe just take the remainder of this time, uh, the next few minutes, and share some ideas. Maybe they can be motivators for us to uh, how to reach the seeker or how to relate to the ones uh, that we come in contact with that have spiritual and physical needs. Who are they? How do we relate to them? And how do we reach them for the Lord? Now, I, I didn't have time, or I don't have time, to talk much about the physical needs in our community, except to say that helping someone that has a physical need often opens doors for us to talk about the deep spiritual need in their heart. And so I see us as a people doing fairly well with that. Uh, being aware of physical needs and then uh, being there to help and encourage those in need because it's, it's the physical needs that the unsaved people often it brings them to God.
or it brings them to an openness to hear about God. People with physical losses and handicaps often have serious questions about life and God. And are we prepared out of our own experiences to point them to um, submission to God and, and finding peace in Him and finding uh, hope in the future beyond today's problems. And we could turn to 1 John 3, 17 and 18, where it says, But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? And uh, the Sunday I preached this message at Mine Road, that Saturday night, a neighbor's barn burned down. And I witnessed the community coming together in, in a disaster. And I told the congregation that I think I know what we can expect. It was an Amish uh, family that lost their barn. I think I know what we can expect early Monday morning. And sure enough, I checked in later, and the crews were arriving at that uh, disaster before daylight. And how that speaks to the community that we live in when we have love and help for each other in this way. So, how do we engage in the harvest? I already alluded to one point, and that is pray. Pray that you would have meaningful opportunities. And pray that you would have an opportunity to meet to meet a neighbor. So I'd like to I'd like to leave this challenge with uh, this idea of of being praying about meeting a certain person. Let's be more intentional and. Maybe rather than just praying that God would bring somebody in the community to me or give me opportunity, could we pray for a particular one or two people and then continue to pray that God would open a door for uh, a connection or an opportunity to share with them? So... Maybe that was a little wordy, but focus on one or two people and then pray for them. Follow a journey with them and make them priority in your life and see what God can do through that ministry. Look for opportunities. And I'm going to share this. Uh, this meant so much to me and was so encouraging but I was at uh, the Wawa gas station one day there in Gap. And I don't know how you do, 
I know sometimes, you know, I'll put the hose in and start filling the gas and just kind of look around and there's somebody across uh, on the other side of the pump. Well, I witnessed a man that was seeking opportunities and he was walking through just making connections with everybody that was pumping gas. And after a bit, he got to uh, a young man that was working for Wawa that was doing the emptying the, the waste cans. And I saw him approach him, and I could just about hear what he was saying. He was just asking him if, if he knows the Lord Jesus and so on and so on. And I was pumping gas, and after a bit I looked over, and this man asked the boy, if he could pray for him, what, what was the young man supposed to say? He said, yes. And so there this man laid his hands on that boy, that young man, and prayed. And it was like uh, the gospel message in the prayer. It was, it was beautiful. So I'm just sharing that as let's look for opportunities to meet the spiritual needs in our community. I have uh, maybe one um, thing for families with small children to consider. I remember back when our children were quite small and we had interest, actually uh, one of our children had interest in witnessing to the neighborhood. So we went ahead and formed a little company, and we called it the Surprise Package Company. And we would meet every Friday, and we would discuss what happened in the past week, what we could do next week, which neighbors, what to give them, how to approach. And uh, yeah, it was very meaningful for the children. And, and for us. And we reached our neighbors that way. Maybe I could encourage that uh, we invite our neighbors into our homes. Uh, I wonder how many neighbors wonder what's going on in our homes. And I would just encourage that we consider that. Use our homes to effectively share the gospel right here in America. I know we're doing some connecting with immigrants and students. Um, I, I follow the work at State College with uh, Ernest Eby. A tremendous way of reaching people right here in our country. Hand out Christian literature. Uh, we used to and then I think we got the idea that maybe it's not as effective today. I'd like to challenge that. I'd like to suggest that you have something ready to hand out to people. And for the youth. You know, I think it would be a good idea if maybe for Bible study, you could actually have Bible studies on... Um, training on how to do evangelism. And 
and make it maybe something a, a little bit more than just the training part, but actually get out and do it. Maybe you could do a religious survey in your neighborhood. Yeah, and I'm going to, uh, I'm going to share one more thing and then have a few thoughts in closing here. Recently, I was in Hampton, uh, Connecticut, at the church, the outreach up there. And I became acquainted with Chris and his wife, who are now members at the Hampton Mennonite Church. But I was intrigued with and encouraged with her, uh, with a testimony of a couple that lives an hour away from the church. And they have been attending faithfully for the last year now. And that came about because Chris's wife, who has a little uh, um, store, she sells milk and cheese and eggs and so on. And this was before she even, uh, they were members, and she wasn't dressing like an, a conservative Anabaptist. But there was this man that came because of the organic uh, product. And just as he was leaving, she said, God bless your day. And he stopped and turned around and said, are you a Christian? And yes. And then he wondered where they go to church. Where, where is there a church around here? Well, ever since, this couple from Connecticut has been coming to the Hampton Church. Now, I think I'd, I'd like to give this as an encouragement. I think there's people that come to our community, and when they see a, a separated dress or the coverings, I think they associate that with religion. And it might just open the door for them to ask questions. So I would, I would just encourage us to not hide the conservative Anabaptist, uh, what would you call it, way of dressing. I think there's people that come into our community wondering about religion and God. And some seeds, I believe, that are sown may lie dormant for 10 and 20 and 30 years, but someday it might sprout and grow. So do the seeking people in our community know where to go when they sense spiritual needs in their own life? Do they feel welcome? So what is more important to us? Our comforts? Our business? Our ease? or the salvation of those around us. 1 Corinthians 9.16 says, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Sowing seeds of love and truth is not something extra. It's the very essence of following Jesus. So this, this study has challenged me to become 
more involved in the eternal rather than and I'm not the word failed me the temporal so I trust that this relating to spiritual and physical needs in our community uh, is a challenge to each of us and in this coming week as we pray let's ask God to help us uh, be the mouth and the hands for, for Christ, for what he did for us. I'm going to invite you to kneel with me in prayer. Mm-hmm. Dear loving Heavenly Father, we come to you just now to thank you for salvation. We thank you for Grace, we thank you for your spirit that comes and lives within us. Father, we would just desire that our lives could bring honor and glory to you through bringing others to the saving knowledge of Jesus. Father, we thank you again for the opportunity we have today to just worship and fellowship here in freedom. Help us to, to seize the opportunities that we will have in the next days. Help us to be alert and to look for those opportunities. Might we find the seeking person and guide them to you. Father, we thank you again for the blessing of um, church life, and how that we can be an encouragement to each other. Might you direct us further, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.